All right, we are wrapping up this series we've been in for the last uh, four weeks now, uh, entitled Good Ground. And if you are just now joining us, we've had a tremendous time going through talking about the different types of ground that Jesus speaks about in Mark chapter 4. If you haven't been with us, you can go back and watch the messages that lead up to this. But over in the book of Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching his disciples a lesson. In fact, he's not just teaching his 12 disciples of the apostles. He's teaching to a large group. He's teaching them this, this message using a parable or a little illustrated sermon to describe a sower who is sowing some seed. And just like it with any pastor, he's doing a good job of teaching, and he thinks the message is getting across. But when he gets along with his disciples afterwards, they're like, we didn't understand what you just said, sir. And ask him, will you explain and break down what you were talking about in that parable? And so he goes on to explain that the sower he's talking about is really the preacher or the, the messenger, the one communicating the message. He goes on to explain to them that the seed he's referring to is not literal seed. He's talking about the Word of God. As I've been saying over and over, this book is not just a book of promises. It's not just a history book. This is a bag of seed. What you do with this bag of seed determines what kind of a harvest you get in your life. If you grab a bag of seed from Home Depot or Lowe's or Ace Hardware, your favorite store, and all you do is sit in the garage, how many know nothing's going to grow in your garden? So what you do with the seed really matters. So he said the seed he's talking about is the Word of God. Then he says the ground that he's talking about refers to four different types of conditions of the human heart. Just like it is in your backyard, if you go and you try to put seed in the ground and it's some hard, sandy soil, it's not going to do anything. If you go in the backyard and you got some, 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 some soil that's got weeds all in and you just try to put seed on top of it, it's probably not going to work out well. But if you till the ground, if you prepare the ground so it's properly ready for the seed to be deposited and you nurture it and you water it and you keep the weeds out, then it's probably going to produce a harvest. The four different Places that the seed or the word can land, he said, was number one, he told us by the wayside. We've, we've been talking about that. By the wayside means it, it never actually made it into the ground because the person that was receiving the word, like you're receiving right now, either they didn't fully understand the word, the, the preacher was talking over their head, maybe they had a language barrier. For whatever reason, they didn't properly understand the word, or maybe they just weren't focused that particular day. Or maybe they got distracted. The word is being sown into their heart, and somebody texts them to tell them they just made a pound cake for them after church. And instead of getting the word, it just went right past them because for the next 40 minutes, all they're thinking about is that buttery hot pound cake. But the word didn't get into their heart. It went by the wayside. We talked about the word that can fall on stony ground. That's the person we said last week that gets excited to receive the word, but because they don't have any deep roots in their lives, the moment the devil brings pressure their way, either from the people in their lives or from the circumstances in their lives, because of the word that they receive, they end up quitting, they give up, they turn around, or they get pulled off course. So the word never has a chance to fully produce the kind of life change that God wants. Can I tell you, God wants the word to produce life change in you. We don't believe in just coming to church to be religious. God wants your life to change. Come on, say amen, somebody. God wants you to grow. He wants you to multiply. He wants you to expand. He wants life to get better for you, not worse. Then the third type of ground he described is something called thorny ground, which we're going to talk about today. Then the, the fourth type of ground, which is the ultimate goal, we started off with this one, is good ground. That's the person that receives the word. They act on the word. They use the word to combat the pressures of life that come their way. They keep on choosing the word even after they got other choices in their lives. 
And the word changes every aspect of that person's life. God wants the word to change every aspect of your life. There's not a crevice in your life that God wants you to just accept defeat in. He wants you to have a mindset that I am determined to win in every area of my life. Say it out loud. I am determined to win. Say it like you are alive. I am determined to win in every aspect of my life. Say it again. I am determined to win in every aspect of my life. Say it this way. I am not surrendering any area of my life to the devil. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. I am believing God. I'm trusting his word. I'm acting on his word. And his word is being sown into the good ground of my heart. So it is working, producing results. And I fully expect to see victory in all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, if you believe that, give him a shout of thanksgiving. Come on, I believe that. Thank you, Lord. We fully expect that. Let's wrap this up talking about thorny ground. Now, this really, uh, I'm going to preach this all day at all of our services, but can I tell you, this message is built for this group right here. The group that's in here right now, many of you have been with us for years and years and years. Some of you are new, but most of you have been either with us for years or, or you've been saved for years. You say, how do you know that? Because for you to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> when you got two other choices, come on, somebody, that represents either a level of maturity or insanity. Either way, this word is for you. Amen. Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. This is what we've been reading. It says, now these are the ones. The ones is talking about the seed or the word. These are the ones of the seed that is sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word. And the assumption is they act on the word, they receive it. But then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in chokes the word, and the word becomes unfruitful. Notice the language. The word becomes unfruitful. Notice the phraseology. The word becomes. In other words, it wasn't always unfruitful. It was working at one time. They were getting results at one time. But then something came in, and it began to choke the word out, and it becomes unfruitful. See, these seeds that he's talking about here actually make it into the ground, so it's not wayside. They don't fall by the wayside. This person he's referring to here, the the person clearly had enough root in themselves to persevere beyond the pressures of life. They didn't just give up. They didn't just throw in the towel, So, which means they're not stony ground. In fact, the word begins working in their life, And their life becomes fruitful, listen to this, for a season until the thorns show up. And the Bible says the thorns show up and they choke the word out. The Greek word for choke there means to strangle completely. It means to drown out. It means to crowd out. The Amplified Bible says it means to suffocate. So the word is producing in their lives. They're seeing results in their families, seeing results in their marriage, seeing results in their finances. Their body's getting more healthy. Their relationships are getting better. And then something comes in from the outside to choke out, to strangle out, to suffocate the word so the word no longer has its life-producing qualities. When I, you know, well, April and I, we're big fans of 24, you know, Jack Bauer. I knew I loved y'all for some reason. 
Well, you know, they took 24 off, and so every time we hit a sports lull, I go back and, and rewatch the season. So we've just gone back from season four, well, I saw all the way from season four through season seven. So I've been on a, a Jack Bauer marathon. And one of the things about Jack Bauer, if, if you are a 24 fan, is that he always had this habit when he's got a mission he's on, if somebody's getting in his way, it could be a friend or an enemy. They're living their life like normal, and he'll show up and choke them out. <laughs> They're struggling, and he's got them in a chokehold, and he'll say something like this, stop fighting it. <laughs> and as he tells them to stop fighting it, as he knocks my earpiece off, <laughs> as he tells them to stop fighting it, they finally get choked out. They suffocate enough to be passed out. Watch this, and while they're passed out, there's no more talking. There's no more fighting. Watch this, they're no longer in opposition to him because they've been immobilized. Well, guess what? The Bible says that there's a group of people who get the word. They've been at Impact Church for years now. They've been walking in the word for a long time. But then something shows up that makes the word stop working like it used to. Listen, listen, listen to what I'm saying. Doesn't mean they stop coming to church. Doesn't mean they stop serving. It means something shows up from the outside and it strangles out. It, it, it chokes out. It suffocates the word. So the word is no longer producing results like it did in the very beginning. Shout amen, somebody. Amen. Now, the three types of thorns that it describes, number one is the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire or the lust for other things. John chapter 8, verse 31 says this. Jesus told those Jews who had believed in him, he said, if you continue in my word, everybody shout continue. Amen. If you continue in my word, he says, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. The truth will set you free. In other words, once we have embraced a life living in the word, it is imperative that we continue walking in that same word. Not enough to start and then allow ourselves to drift backwards. He says, we've got to continue in that word. Here's a quote for you. A victorious life in Christ is not about the word we have heard. It is a result of the word we continue to hear and activate in our lives on a daily basis. Are you still there? Are you going home already? How many know, you know Judas heard the word? And obviously, he, he must have had a good heart at the beginning because Jesus wouldn't have picked somebody with a bad heart. He heard the word. He was still coming around, but his heart wasn't still vested like it was in the beginning. And you don't get credit for what you did a long time ago. We were in a, on vacation some years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago, and we love to do cruises. So we were on a cruise ship, and we stopped. I think it was, was St. Thomas, and we were in St. Thomas, and we were doing a tour around the island this time, and... And we had this driver, I think his name was George, actually, and he's driving us around the island, did a great job, and, but he's telling us, you know, about the island, and then he starts telling us kind of about, about his past and how he used to be a bodybuilder. And this guy's a little a thin guy, man, just a little thin guy, and I'm sitting here saying, boy, you ain't been no bodybuilder. <laughs> and he's telling us about the, the, this, these competitions he's won, and, and I'm just kind of taking it with a grain of salt. Then he pulled a picture down from his rearview mirror and showed us a picture of him. And this guy sitting up there with like this, like muscles like mine. Y'all really know how to offend a guy, don't you? 
I mean, this picture, I mean, he, he literally had these big muscles. I mean, he was a bodybuilder. And it's not that he looked bad now, but he was a lot smaller. And the point I'm making is he was in the gym as a bodybuilder. But when he stopped being in the gym, his muscles didn't say, till death do us part. The moment, watch this, the moment he stopped applying pressure and stress to those muscles, they shrank back to where they were before he ever started working out. We don't get credit for having been sold out to God one time ago. If we don't continue to apply faith pressure, continue to stay fired up, come on, somebody, continue to pursue God with all of our heart, our life without realizing can shrink back to where it was before we ever came to know God, which is why we are required to continue in God's word. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, watch this. It says, if they have escaped from the slum of sin by experiencing our master and savior, Jesus Christ, and then slid back. Everybody say slid back. I mean, no, slid back is not an automatic something. It's a slow turn. It's a slow fade, which means, you know, little bitty habits start to creep in that, you know, that resemble who we used to be in. And things that used to matter to us before stopped mattering at the extent that, I'm, I'm preaching real good right here. I told you this message is for this group in particular because we are the ones most in danger of being able to say, oh, yeah, I know that already. He said if we end up sliding back into that same old life again, those people are worse than if they had never left to begin with. It is better not to have ever started out on the straight road to God than to start out and then turn back repudiating the experience and the holy command. These are the people that prove the point of the proverb that says, a dog goes back to his own vomit, and a scrubbed-up pig heads right back for the mud. So here's a note I want you to grab hold of. This group of people that I'm talking about right here, last week we talked about a group of people that got taken out by pressure. This group of people are not the ones being taken out by the pressures of life. Hear me out. They're victims of the prosperity of life. Life got so good that they lost their edge. See, they become so consumed with what has come from the hand of the Father that they stop seeking the face of the Father. Elbow your neighbor and tell them, I'm going to need you to say amen. See, if you don't say amen, they're going to think that the pastor's up here talking about you. Now, we don't want that. All of us have the potential to end up becoming thorny ground if we don't stay on top of this. Let's look at what he said takes these individuals out. Number one, he said the cares of this world. The cares of this world. The word cares there comes from a Greek word, merimna, E-M-E-R-I-M-N-A, merimna. And it means the anxious solicitations. It means to draw into different directions. It means to distract. He said that the, this group of people, they're, they're going along, they're, the, the word is producing, it's become fruitful in their lives, and then the cares of this world show up, the, the marimna, the anxious solicitations, things that draw them in different directions, things that show up to distract them. You know, I, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, as most of you know, and I went to a high school called Cass Technical High School. It was right in downtown Detroit area. And I went back recently, and, and it's really nice. They, they've redone the whole area. They moved all the, the sports arenas downtown, so they had to clean up the whole area. But when I went to high school there, 
it was actually a pretty rough area. And when we, even when I, we show up and park your car or have you got, you know, got dropped off, whatever, we have to walk through what they call a cast corridor back then. And you literally would have homeless people you know, sleeping right there on the street. You'd have uh, women of the night prostitutes who, as students, we'd have to pass by them on our way just to get to school in the morning. And there could be a solicitation made where a woman is standing there asking you, hey, don't you want some of this? And the goal is try to get your attention to get you to turn aside and head in the direction of this prostitute or this, this woman who's on the corner to see if she can get you away from where you're supposed to be going, going somewhere you shouldn't be going. That's what the Bible says here. That when you're living this life, you've been saved for a while. You know the word. You had enough word in you that when the devil had the audacity to bring that, that pressure your way, you, you withstood that. You didn't get mad at God because you went through something. You still stood, st- you stood strong. You were like Job. You know, even, even though things get difficult, I'm still going to put my trust in God. You kind of made it through that phase. Don't get me wrong. Pressure still comes no matter where you are. But you learned how to have some deep enough roots to where some pressure from people, you cut them off. Well, forget y'all then. I'm going all the way with God. You've been able to, to endure the pressure, but the problem shows up that you're walking with God and the devil is over here going, don't you want this? Don't you want to come on over here? Don't, don't you want a job that's going to make you work on Sundays, but you're going to get 30% more money than what you've had before? You've been lonely for a long time. You know you don't want a man. He gave his life to the Lord at an early age. He ain't did nothing with it since then, but he gave his life to the Lord at an early age. Boy, it's getting quiet in this Catholic church this morning. What am I saying? Once you've been saved for a while, you got some fortitude on you. You've proven that you can go through some stuff. The enemy's next trick is to see what he can do to entice you. Come, come, on, come on out here on, on this territory out here. Come on out here and spend more time on your boat on a Sunday. Go ahead and tailgate on, on Sundays and instead of making the church. He'll try everything he can to try to bait you away from your post to get you out here on territory. See, this word cares, hear me out. Normally when we think about cares, we think about stuff that makes you worried. This word cares is not the same as a person that is bogged down with worries. In fact, this is a person who's become concerned about all the same worldly priorities that an unsaved person is concerned with. They become distracted while trying to pursue things in life that only pertain to this life down here on earth. Listen to this quote. We're living in a time where so many people who identify as followers of Christ have a view of the world, a view of morality, and a view of their decision-making that is in complete contrast to Jesus. There are a lot of believers today who will be offended at Jesus if they ever sat down and had a conversation with him. Because there are things today that we've just come to accept as being okay because so many of us have developed a worldly mindset that we don't even allow ourselves to be challenged as to what does God think about this. You look up today, and there's so much of the occult all around us today. And a lot of believers don't even see it, don't even, rec- don't even have a sensitivity to it. You look at the movies that are out today, four out of ten movies at the movie theater today are all about something haunted, something scary, something demonic. And I'm not the one that says that Christians need to be afraid of that because the Christ in us is bigger than all of that. 
But we need to have a sensitivity to know that that's probably not where God wants you to go plop down and let yourself get exposed to all of that, especially if you don't have enough word coming into you to combat all of that. There's so many believers today who have fallen in love with some of these entertainers like a cult worship. And dare somebody to talk about your favorite artist. You know, I, will. I just don't have time today. That's the only reason I'm not. There's so many believers that are running behind some of these artists. And if you look at what, what the enemy is using them to do, it's to solicit you to come on out here. And without realizing it, drawing away your affection, your attention, your devotion. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. I was looking at it last week or a couple weeks ago, this artist, I'm not even familiar with her, a Doja Cat, I think it's who released this, this album or a song, I won't sure what it's called, Demons, and, 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 and I was looking at the graphics for it. It is straight demonic. And I was looking in the comments from a few of the posts at how many believers are defending this. And this is what they say, it's just art. No, you're just deceived. <laughs> I'm sure Eve thought it was just art as well. But when the serpent shows up that boldly, the reason why the serpent can be that bold is because a serpent has, has minimized the defenses of the believers and has believers who have the same mindset as the people in the world because we don't think there's anything wrong. We don't need to put any borders around ourselves. I'm preaching really good right now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, and it doesn't say don't love people that are in the world. It's talking about worldly stuff. Do not love anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world. What are you talking about, God? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It doesn't come from the Father. It comes from the world or the devil. For the world and all of his desires are going to pass away. But whoever does the will of God is going to live forever. See, one of the, one of the drivers, day of depression and mental health issues and, and all the relational drama that, that so many Christians experience is because of an onset of illicit love affairs with the world's way of thinking and living and talking and deciding. The reason why you got so many Christians, I'm not saying that, that mental health issues are not real. They are very real. But the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. So I don't believe we ought to have so many believers that are being affected to such a degree by the same mental health stuff that the world is. And I'm not saying you ought to hide it or act like it doesn't exist. What I'm saying is if we stop thinking like the world, maybe we stop having some of the same results that the world has. Come on, help me out, somebody. I need your help right here. The Bible says this, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. Watch this. How, God? By changing the way you think. Notice the Bible never, the Bible never said God was going to change you into a brand new person by you coming to church. Don't get me wrong. Coming to church is important. Coming to church is, where we, is one of the places where God helps to change the way we think. I'm just trying to tell you, you can come to church for the rest of your life. If we don't open up our hearts to submit our thoughts to God's thoughts, come on, talk to me, somebody. And it's not enough to have submitted at one time. We have to continually submit. Even after you've been saved for a long time, even after you've been pastoring for a long time, 
We have to continue to submit our thoughts to God so he can change the way we think or else we can find ourselves being solicited by the enemy and drifting back to a place we never said we'd go again. Changing the way you think. See, most of us don't need another prayer line. Most of us don't need another deliverance service. Don't need another counseling session. Most of us simply need to watch this change the way we think. Elbow your neighbor and tell them this is not a good time for you to get quiet. Everybody say, I love my pastor because he loves us enough to give us the truth even when it hurts. Now, come on, give God praise by faith like you're going to believe that one day. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Everybody say above. above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind. I like the King James Version here. It says your affection. Set all of your love. Set your mind, your affection on things above, not on the things down here on this earth. He's saying fall in love with God. <laughs> Don't allow ourselves to keep falling in love with this world. It takes a conscious effort to fall in love with and stay in love with the things that really matter the most to God. I mean, you know, in order to fall in love with what matters to God, we got to fall out of love with what matters to this world. Second thing he said that will come in and choke the word out is the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Notice he didn't say riches. So don't say money is evil. Money is not evil. If you think it is, just give it to me. I'll let you know if it's evil or not. Let me, let me test it out for you. <laughs> just bring it to me. I'll tell you if it's evil or not. Money is not evil. He didn't say the riches. He said the deceitfulness of riches. The problem is not with the riches. Watch this. The problem with is with the deceitfulness of riches. Or, or let, let, me, let me break it down. The problem with is with the lies that money will tell us. The problem is not with the money. It's the lies that money will tell us if you'll listen to it. What are some of the lies that money will tell us? You need to get that bag at all costs. Money will tell you the world, and money will tell you money over everything. Is that really what you believe? It's worth getting the bag at the expense of losing your marriage and losing your kids and declining health. That's really worth getting money is over everything? That's the lie that, that, that money will tell us if we are willing to listen to it. Money will tell you if you just had enough money, all your problems will be fixed. Somebody say, that's a lie. In fact, sometimes you get more money, you get more problems. Sometimes you get more money, you get more IRS issues. You get some cousins you didn't even know existed. Money doesn't fix everything. You know, I was a big fan of Bill Gates, man. And, or I'm sorry, Steve Jobs. But big fan of Steve Jobs. And with all he produced and released with Apple and the iPhone and all that, gets to the end of his life and had pancreatic cancer and has enough money to buy almost anything you can think of on planet Earth, but that money could not bring his health back. What am I saying? It's not money over everything. What am I saying? We should not be pursuing the bag at all costs. Are you still there? 
Here's another lie that money will tell you. You'll have more friends if you have more money. Somebody say, that's a lie. Let me, let me rephrase it. You'll have more people in your life if you have more money. But you have to wonder who's there for you, who's there for what you have. Money doesn't fix everything, doesn't solve everything. Here's another lie that money will tell you. You are a self-made man, you're a self-made woman. No such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. There's always somebody who's been there, come on, to help you get to where you are today. And if nothing else, God is the one who gives you the strength. Come on, he's the one that gave you the intellect. He's the one that allowed you to finish your education. He's the one who gave you those witty ideas and inventions. No such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. Here's another lie that, that money will tell you. You need to get rich or die trying. What is that? That's a lie. No, we don't get rich or die trying. Here's another lie. You can't afford to give your hard-earned money to that church. That's a lie. First of all, we don't give our money to the church. We give our money through the church. <laughs> I'm giving my money to the Most High God. And I'm giving it through a church that I have confidence in because I've seen over time that they've demonstrated that they will be people who walk in integrity what's presented into their hand. Come on, say amen, somebody. But at the end of the day, it's not a matter of I can't afford it. I can't afford not to. Can't afford not to obey God. The problem is when we start listening to the lies that money will tell us, it'll take us off track. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Tell those that are rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and stop being so obsessed with their money, which is here today and is gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage. Tell them to do good, to be rich in helping other people, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. See, when I begin to understand that God is the one that owns everything, everything that I have belongs to God, then everything that he gives me, I understand, is supposed to be available to be used to serve his kingdom. And that mentality becomes a safeguard against me falling in love with God's property. Money will not fix all your problems. You know, yesterday, you know, I'm a big Deion Sanders fan. And, you know, yeah, they, they lost yesterday, they lost badly. But if you don't know anything about sports, Oregon has a top 10 recruiting class. That coach has, you know, a gang of four-star recruits. Deion Sanders has a group of guys he just put together from the transfer portal. He's already turned that program around. To go from one win last year to three this year and to have beaten the schools he's beaten so far, he's already turned the program around. But the thing about Deion Sanders' life is that his life is not based on how many wins he has. His life is not based on how many clicks he gets or how many people like him or dislike him. The man has made decisions in his life, and what's most important is his relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on, you ought to shout a better amen than that, somebody. And if you know anything about his story, Deion Sanders, when he was at the pinnacle of his career, he was a two-sport professional athlete. It just doesn't happen. He was a professional baseball player and a professional football player at the top of his game in both sports. I think it was a day where he had just gone three for four. He gotten three hits out of four times at bat in baseball. He was on commercials all over the place, making buku money coming in left and right. And this man, with all that going on, tried to commit suicide. Go back and look at it. Go back and read it for yourself. He tells a story how he had everything seemingly going right on the outside, 
but still had a hole in his heart on the inside. And it wasn't until somebody introduced him to Jesus Christ, come on, that it gave him a peace that passes all understanding. And now even with some of the trials he's gone through and you know, had, had, a, had a disease where they had to amputate a couple of his toes, he doesn't let that become something that is his excuse to be depressed and discouraged, but instead his life is founded upon the rock of all rocks, Jesus Christ. Why? The deceitfulness of riches, the lies that riches will tell you will not satisfy your life. It is nothing but Jesus that can really satisfy. And the third thing that, the, that says it can choke the word out is the desire or the lust for other things comes in and it chokes the word out. The lust or the desire for something else other than God. See, this is the ultimate distraction test where the enemy works to make a person bored with the righteous life that God has just delivered them to. Remember how happy you were when you start waking up in the morning and you weren't feeling guilty about what you did last night and wasn't having to repent over and over from where you were and what you did before. But if you don't watch it, there comes a day where the enemy will make you feel bored with that life now. All of a sudden you feel mundane. Your life is not as exciting as your sister's. You're not hanging out in Vegas and partying like everybody else in, in your family life. But if you don't watch it, he'll use that lust for other things to create a desire on the inside that gets birthed into something that takes you off track. See, a big part of the great falling away, and I'm going to keep talking about this because the Bible prophesies in these last days there's a great falling away. It's not going to happen. We're in the middle of it right now. A big part of this great falling away happens because people lose their affection for God. The Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is talking to a young pastor named Timothy. And he's warning him about what to look for in the last days. He says there are going to be perilous times that are going to show up. Times that are just hard to deal with, hard to bear. And he starts to enumerate all the stuff to, to expect and to look forward to. And he gets down in verse number 4. He says people are going to be traitors. They're going to be heady. They're going to be high-minded or puffed up. But then he says this, in these last days, there will be people who are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Come on, man, are you still out there? The reason why God gives you signs is so you know what the time is. When you're driving down I-4 and you see a sign that says Orlando, don't be shocked if you keep going and you end up in Orlando. We're in the last days. God says one of the signs of the last days is that you'll start having people who have a love for pleasure. That means a love for doing their own thing, their own way, what gives them satisfaction more than they have a love for God. And I love the fact that he didn't say instead of. He just said more than. <laughs> I still love God. I just love, I just love doing my own thing. <laughs> I pick me over God most times. See, those who have been walking with Christ for a while, we live in a constant battle. To not allow anything to compete with the love that we have for him. See, we're not made for a career. We weren't made for parenting. We weren't made for being a spouse. We weren't made for making money. We weren't even made for working in a church. We were made for God's pleasure. Which means nothing else matters. If you get all the rest of it right and forget to love God, it's a waste of time. If you succeed at everything else and fail at pursuing God, the rest of it is just a waste of time. 
The very reason God created mankind was for him to have communion and fellowship with us. When they came to Jesus trying to trip him up, they said, Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all of your passion, all of your prayer, and all of your intelligence. He says, This is the most important. He said, It's the first on any list. Any list you put together. He said, The most important thing is love God the most. How should I handle my money, God? Love God the most. How should I divvy out my time? Love God the most. He says, No matter what list you put together. They all begin with put God at the top and love him with everything you have. See, if we are to maintain a heart that is good ground, we have to maintain a passionate love for Jesus Christ. And those of us in this room that have been saved for a while, been walking in the way for a while, God has changed our lives. We got a testimony. We're the ones most in danger of thorny ground. We're the ones most in danger sitting up in church, but the word stopped working. You don't even know it stopped working because you become a professional Christian. You know what to do. You know how to make it work. You know, you know what the, the, the motions to go through. But if you look around and realize the word is not producing fruit like it's supposed to, and even if it is, it's squirting out a little fruit here or there. You're not getting the full hundredfold productivity God wants us to have because we've stopped making him the greatest passion of our lives. I don't know about you. I'm preaching to myself because from this seat right here, I, I, can, I, can I say this without sounding arrogant? I don't have a boss. God is my boss, which means there's nobody to hold me accountable to do the right thing. I've got to do right because it's in my heart to do right. I've got to show up at work because it's in my heart to show up at work. The point I'm making is when we get to a certain place of maturity in the things of God, you've got to want it for yourself. I'm out, here, I'm out here for a praise and worship every Sunday, almost three times every Sunday because I like worshiping God. It's not a part of my job description. I actually love Jesus myself. And when you love him yourself, nobody's got to make you go to 21 days of prayer. Nobody's got to make you do certain things. You just have a personal passion for him. But if nobody ever told me this is what you need to do, I'm doing it anyway. You know why? Because I just love Jesus. <laughs> Do I have anybody else that just loves Jesus? Come on, lift up your hands and worship him with me. Oh, we bless you, Jesus. Come on, if you love him, just lift up your hands and worship him. Lift up your hands and worship him. Lift up your hands and worship him, Lord. from you.
people why did God destroy those two cities most people would say because of the sin of homosexuality and the lewdness that was happening in those cities and I do believe there's a part of it because God was detested by those actions there's a scripture that says that the sin of Sodom wasn't just the thing we think of the physical thing the sin of the great sin of Sodom the Bible says was something called prosperous ease People got so comfortable, they got so fat with prosperity. God had blessed their lives so much, taking them out of darkness and into the light. They just got soft, got weak, got comfortable. They start judging the will of God based on what was most comfortable for them at the time. They didn't want to do it, it must not be God's will. 
something they really wanted, they put God's stamp on it whether he said so or not. I'm telling you, saints, we got to get back to a place where we pursue God. We open up our hearts let him tell us whatever he wants to say. Because sometimes what he wants to say is not what you want to do. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. And he wants what's best for us. What's best happens because we pursue him with all of our heart. One more time, lift up your hands. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. For from you. For from you are all Savior. I want to pray for you. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not saying anybody here is better than you. You could actually be one of the nicest people in the building or one of the nicest people online and still not be saved. That's because salvation is not something we earn from God by just being good. We're not going to get to heaven one day and have God put our good deeds on one scale, our bad deeds on the other scale to see which one outweighs the other. Jesus Christ took all of our bad deeds and he took his blood, his sacrifice, put it on the other side of the scale and the Father said, that's enough. So right now, the reason why people go to hell is not because of the sins they've committed. People go to hell because of the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ, who is God's answer for our sins. So I'm going to tell you plain out, God sent Jesus to pay the price for your sin and mine. But if you don't want him, if you reject him, if you say, I'll do it on my own, then yeah, God will let you go to hell to pay for it yourself. It's not his heart. It's not his desire. What he wants all of us to do, say yes to Jesus, just surrender to him. Let him wipe away our sin, bring us into an amazing relationship. So if you're here today and you're not saved, I want to pray for you. If you're not sure you're saved, I want to pray for you. If you are saved, but you've kind of gotten away from God, you want to come back today and put your stamp again. I'm back here. I'm committed to you, Father. Let me pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up here to the front. I'm going to pray for you right there at your seat or right there online where you are. But I need you to give me permission. So I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I get to three, if you're saying, yes, Pastor, include me in on this prayer. When I get to three, I want you to shoot your hand up as high as you can. Don't let the enemy distract you. Don't let yourself get concerned or nervous or embarrassed. All of us have to make this decision at one time or another. And if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, when I get to three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift that hand up. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Another hand there. Beautiful. Another hand there. Another hand there. Thank you. See that hand there. Another hand right there. Thank you. Another hand there. Beautiful. Another hand right there. Thank you, ma'am. One, two, three hands there. Thank you. Another hand there. Sitting down. Thank you. See another hand right there. Anybody else? Thank you there in the back. Hands are up all over the room. Beautiful. 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 God loves you. We love you too. Anybody online? Right there online, you can type into the chat bar. Let our team know that you're saying yes to Jesus. They put the little poll up on the screen. Anybody else ready to say yes to Jesus that has not done so already? Beautiful. All over the room. 
But every one of you that raised your hand for prayer, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. God will hear it. God will answer you right there where you are. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin. You raised him from the dead. and He's alive right now. So Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. According to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, Impact Church. Put your hands together with us.